My name is Eric. It's good to be with all of you. It's good to be back in Matthew. Um, We haven't been there in a couple months. We took a break for the summer. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew 12. It's about three quarters or so the way in your Bible. We're going to be there this morning. Can you rest? Why not? Are you insanely busy? something I often hear. Is every hour of every day filled to the brim? And if you don't keep going, it will most assuredly fall to the ground in a heaping, unfixable mess. Or when you do sit or lie in your bed, do all the things you have not accomplished run to your mind and you are filled with anxiety? Or do you feel insufficient and you are certain your identity is wrapped up in what you have accomplished and you have not accomplished enough. Or perhaps you think you are only valued as much as the next thing that you have to accomplish. And until that's done, I don't have any value. Or from another angle, perhaps you know there is no mercy in this world, so I have to keep working. I am my own help. I am my own rest. I am my own backstop, my own safety. Of course I can't rest. Have you ever experienced mercy or kindness or compassion? That action of love that was unearned, but dear kindness. That balm of sweet service. The kindness of a meal when you just can't put it together that day and someone shows up at your door. Or the ministry of someone sitting next to you and bearing your burden with you. Or the gift that is exceedingly gracious. Or the help to finish the task that had you buckling under the weight of difficulty. Our hearts yearn for rest. Our persons were made for rest and our hearts are joyed with mercy. And we are curiously tuned to the beauty of uncommon kindness. Today we hear from the king who is characterized by both. Rest and mercy. Sabbath and kindness. Compassion and refreshment. In one man they are paired. Jesus. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of mercy. The Lord of the Sabbath is the Lord of mercy. That's what Matthew 12 will tell us, but we probably need a little refresher about Matthew because it's been a few months, right? So let's refresh our memories. Matthew is Matthew's account of the gospel, Matthew's account of the good news about Jesus and what he did on this earth. And the main theme as we've been walking through and reminding ourselves, the main theme of Matthew is that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the king, and he is bringing a kingdom, and that kingdom is good and just and true. And those who are connected with Jesus are connected to that kingdom. That's good news, yeah? And the last little bit of Matthew we read a couple months ago was more good news about the kingdom. There is rest in the kingdom. There is rest with this king. If you recall, chapter 11, I'm going to start in 28. This is what Jesus, the king, said. He said, come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can we just sit there in that for a moment? God is a God of rest. Jesus is a king of rest. His yoke, his system, his paradigm is not one to weigh you down and add difficulty and striving to your life. He is gentle and lowly in heart so you can breathe easy. This is good news. This is good news because it is the only offering of relationship of right relationship, of good relationship with a God where the God does the work and we get the benefit. And I know there are laboring souls in this room. There are heavy laden souls in this room. There are weary souls in this room. I know this because the world is broken. And its brokenness encroaches on us, ever-present. Perhaps your observations outside, the happenings of in, in countries like the Ukraine or Ethiopia, burden you. Perhaps you've been meeting neighbors and learning their needs and hurts and it saddens you. Perhaps you're aware of your own multifaceted bentness and you are weary. Weary with sin weary with your selfishness, weary with your striving to do good, weary with your failings. Come to Jesus. He is the King and He has rest for you, a life-changing rest. And that is where we left off a couple months ago. But Matthew is not done talking about rest. So as the invitation to rest is ringing in our ears. He tells us a story. He weaves a narrative and he starts with an incident. In verse 1 of chapter 12, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. This is the setup for a story. And it sounds pretty innocuous, right? Jesus' words of invitation to rest are ringing in our ears and the story smash cuts to Jesus and his disciples walking, making their way from point A to point B and in the middle is a grain field and it is the Sabbath. You all know this is a Saturday. Bum, bum, bum. Narrative tension. And the disciples were hungry they travel light, if you recall, with Jesus. They don't often have as much food as they need. And as they are walking, they pluck some grain and they probably rub it in their hands so the hull comes off and they pop the grain in their mouth on the Sabbath, on a Saturday. Bum, bum, bum. Tension. Then the accusation in this story. In verse 2, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. I told you there was tension. There's tension. The Pharisees saw this and they think that Jesus has some explaining to do. So they go up to Jesus and that is fitting, right? Jesus is the teacher. 
Jesus is the leader and the disciples are the followers. The followers are eating, but it is the leader who is responsible. It is Jesus who allowed it. So it is Jesus who is addressed. This is not unlike walking into a middle school classroom. We're back in school, right? Not unlike walking into a middle school classroom with students bouncing off the walls, paper flying, spit wads going to and fro, and you walk right up to the teacher and you say, what is going on? What are you allowing in your classroom? That's kind of what's going on here. They walk right up to Jesus and say, your disciples, do you see this? They're doing something unlawful on the Sabbath. Hold up. What is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? We know it's Saturday. We know that much. We, we may need a little primer on the Sabbath. Let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created everything. Literally, I'm going to start in the beginning. And God spent six days preparing a place for man and woman, his image bearers, to dwell. You know that place, we call it the Garden of Eden. God did this work and put man and woman in the garden and said, it is very good. He started that work on a Sunday and he finished it on a Friday. And then in the first couple pages of your Bible, it says this about Saturday. This is in Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested. On the seventh day, God rested. God worked, and then God rested. He finished what he had done, and then he rested. This is before all is broken. Everything is good and right in the world. It is very good, and God works, and then God rests. So work is good and right, and rest is good and right, so much so that to work and rest is to follow the rhythm of God himself, and to rest, to cease your labor and your striving is to trust the God who made the world, to trust the God who sustains the world, who made you and sustains you. And this is hard, right? To rest is to say, I trust that God will keep everything sustained. He doesn't need my striving. He doesn't need my working. He can hold it together. That's hard. But rest is good. We work six and we rest one. That is the, the pattern at the beginning of the story. And then the world fell. If you know the story, man and woman in the garden rebelled and broke relationship with God and sin and brokenness enter the picture. Humans, God's image bearers, rebel against God and go their own way and God decides to respond to this and he responds in graciousness. He reaches out to rescue some, to make them a people and be their God and in their rescue, he gives them the Ten Commandments the outline of how life ought to be lived. In the fourth commandment we read in Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor 
and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God says, here is how the world is put together and you all rest now. And in that resting, you remember that the Lord made the heaven and the earth. That God created and worked and rested. Remember that there is a God in heaven and He is creator God and a God of goodness. And when you rest, you dance in His form of work and rest. And when you rest, everyone rests. You don't just give the work to someone else. And the rest is good in itself and it will position you to remember the God to whom you belong. The God who rescued you. And this resting will also point to everyone around you that you are different because you belong to a different God. The creator God, the rescuer God, thus this commandment. Isn't it strange that we need to be reminded to rest in the Ten Commandments? Some of you are thinking, no, it's not strange at all. Because it's go, 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 go. We can't stop. And for some of you, your very posture pushes against this idea. There's no rest for the weary. We have to keep going. This is for you. Some of you break it that way. Some of you overemphasize this on the other side. You were looking at the six days of work. What? I'm living for the weekend. And perhaps you take a good thing, rest, a good gift, and you make it ultimate. And you vilify work and get through it with as little effort as possible, and you glory in the weekends. We got two days now, right? Well, this is for you, too. Rest is a gift, not a God. Work is cursed, but is not a curse. Work was before the fall. Work is broken, just like you all are broken. But it was here before the fall, just like we were. God did work, right? He participated in something good. Work is good and rest is good. Both are designed to follow after God. That is why we are reminded rest is a gift to us by a good creator, God. And if you were to keep reading in your Bible throughout the first few books, there is a description of what was considered work so that this people of God, Israel, knew how to do this dance of work and rest. And that's a gift. God gave them and us the gift of work and rest. But as we often do, we break gifts, right? And eventually, the posture of Israel, the posture of the Jews, the posture of these Pharisees was no longer, how do I use this gift well? How do I look to the giver of this gift and glory in that? And instead became, I need to use this gift perfectly because that is how I have proper relationship with God. To which I say, 
you're in relationship with God. He gave you a gift. And if you were to read through the old books of the Mishnah or the Talmud, those are not the Bible, but books of Jewish commentary about the Bible, you would see that they were very concerned with making sure they had the proper definition of work. So they wrote down boundaries and boundaries to the boundaries and exceptions to the boundaries because God said, don't work on the Sabbath. So we're going to make rules for our rules because we don't want to break the rules. Talk about ruining a gift. It's like we're going to go on vacation and no reading books because that's work. I, for one, like reading books on vacation. So they said we won't work on the Sabbath, which means we won't harvest our fields on the Sabbath. Yeah, that makes sense. But, but what is the definition of harvest? If I get my combine harvester out, does that count as work? For sure, that is work. Okay, what if I get my sickle out and I take just a little bit? Is that work? Yes, definitely don't do that. Okay, well, what if I take some grain to the mill because I want to make a little bit of bread and I took the hole off so I can grind it? Does that work? Yes, definitely work. Do not do that. Okay, well, what if I just had some in my hands and rub it together and then eat the grain? Is that harvesting? Yes, that counts. Bum, bum, bum. It's the tension. And the Pharisees come up to Jesus and point out that the disciples are doing what is not lawful to do because we said this is the definition of harvest. And now Jesus responds to the accusation. He said to them in verse 3, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we have this incident and we have this accusation, and now we have the response of Jesus, and he gives two examples, and he makes an adjustment. First, he starts out with, have you not read? Which is to cue up the Pharisees to think about their Bibles. These guys are the scholars. They know their Bibles better than we know our Bibles. It may just be my American bind, but it sounds like a bit of a dig. Have you not read? Hey, hey, do you guys know this book? There's this book. It's pretty good. There's stories about God in it and David and Israel and what God did. Do you guys know that one? Have you read that book? And he says, have you not read? And he has them thinking about the story of David. And you could go read it. It's in 1 Samuel 21. We've been walking through 1 and 2 Samuel in the adult Sunday school for several years now, so they've gone through this story. But in that book, there is an account of David, and David is on the run with a small band of guys. He's on the run from his father-in-law, as one does, because his father-in-law wants to kill him, as one does. Anyway, it's, it's not a good relationship. 
So David had to leave quickly, so quickly he couldn't even get some food together. He doesn't have food, he doesn't have supplies, and they arrive at the place where the house of God is. And at the house of God, there is ritual and law and organization around the house of the Lord to keep it special and holy and notably different than everything else around it. Are there some rules and means of keeping it distinct? Yes. Are they written down in this book? You betcha. And one of those rules is that the priests are the ones allowed in the house, not others. Definitely not warriors like David. But David arrives at the house and asks the priest for food, and the only food left was the bread of the presence, the special bread in the special place, in the special house that was part of the special worship of God. And in the law, only the priests were allowed to eat it. But the priests gave these hungry men the bread. Jesus is pointing out that David and the priests read the law. They read their Bibles. They know what God said, and they received the gifts better than the Pharisees. David was an interpreter of Scripture. These priests were interpreters of Scripture, and Jesus is pointing to them as an example. God is a giver of gifts, and He does not use His gifts to make worse the plight of His people. This gift was not meant to bludgeon the one to whom it is given. David knows God to be first and foremost a God merciful and gracious. So when he is hungry, to whom does he go? To God. And he goes to the house of God. And the mercy of food is not in conflict with the distinctiveness and the special place of the house and the bread and the priests. God's worship remains, and his character is made evident in the feeding of David and his men. Jesus points to a second example, and he says, what about the priests in the temple? Or have you not read, again a little dig, in the law, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And again, have you not read? Oh, they have read. The house of the Lord David visited was a tent. And later it was amazingly upgraded to a temple. A very important place. The Jews placed great emphasis on the Sabbath, to be sure. But the temple, the temple even more so. But what does Jesus remind them? There are tasks in the temple that must be accomplished, and they happen on Sabbath, on Saturday. And when they do that work, when the priests do the work, they profane the Sabbath. Profane means to make common. So if I'm doing something to profane, I make it, I make it just like everything else. So they're working on the Sabbath. They've profaned it. When they did the task on the Sabbath in the temple, the Sabbath was no longer special in that case because they were doing work for the temple. The specialness of the temple was superseding the specialness of the Sabbath. So they do these tasks and they do not bring guilt to the priests. They are in relationship with God and while it is their rotation to do the Sabbath activities, they interact with the gift of the Sabbath in a different way and they're not in trouble. The worship of God that happens in the temple is greater than the Sabbath. You see? 
And then Jesus says, something greater than even the temple is here. I just love it when Jesus makes subtle but profound proclamations about who he is and what he is doing, as though Jesus is setting up for them a blind side. See, see, he goes, we didn't need to talk about the temple, but I'm going to bring up the temple. And by the way, I am greater than the temple. Which is greater than the temple? Or which is greater, the temple or the one being worshipped in the temple? The one being worshipped, right? The God who is being worshipped. Jesus is saying, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is saying, God is here. The king has arrived. And what does the king say? Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He references more scripture to the scholars of scripture and says, if you had known what this means, you would have not interacted this way. You would have not condemned the guiltless disciples. And he says, God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is the posture of God, a posture described all throughout Scripture, but he, Jesus, is particularly distilling two Old Testament passages, one in Hosea, who was a prophet, and one in Micah, who was also a prophet. One, prophets who spoke for God said, this is what God says. And they were talking to a disconnected people who desired to return to the Lord. Hosea says in chapter 6, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You can't make relationship with me by sacrifice. You have relationship with me, and then you participate in the gifts that I give. You can't turn it around. How do you walk in relationship with God? You love. He desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. And then in Micah, also chapter 6, it says, With what shall I, be, shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God." They say, if I bring a thousand rams and ten thousands rivers of oil, then I will be in right relationship, right? 
then he will be pleased, right? No. If I do all these things to the nth degree, then he has to love me, right? No. If I give God things back in the form he gave them to me, this is what builds relationship with him, right? No, you don't get it. God gave you a form to walk in because he is in relationship with you. He didn't give you a form so you could pressure relationship out of him. God loves justice. God loves kindness. God loves mercy. When we walk in these things, we walk in the steps of kindness he walks in. Like a child jumping in his papa's footfalls in the snow. That is why he says to the Pharisees, if you knew this book, if you know me, you would walk in mercy. And you would know that these are hungry disciples. The hungry disciples are hungry, not guilty. They are hungry, not breaking the law. They need mercy as they walk in the gift of the day of rest. But you Pharisees are making this gift of rest an unmerciful tool. Sabbath becomes a day of toil to make sure you don't work instead of a gift of a day to rest. Sabbath is not in conflict with mercy. Why? Because the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The whole greater than the temple thing, that was subtle. This is not so subtle. The Son of Man, that is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. He says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord is a way to point back to who controls the Sabbath. Who established the the Sabbath? God. This is a way to point back to the Creator God. He is saying to the Pharisees, Jesus is the Creator God who establishes and rules the Sabbath. And the establisher and the giver of the Sabbath is the King Jesus who loves mercy. Sabbath is a gift. Mercy is a gift. And they are not in conflict because the giver is the giver of both. And the giver is Jesus. If you emphasize the giver of the gift, you can glory in the relationship with the giver. If you break the progression, you will try to use the gift as a means to coerce relationship with God, and it will not work. Jesus is the giver of rest. You can rest, friends. Jesus is merciful. He will take care of you. You can rest, friends. That's good news. But Jesus is not done. The story escalates. Every good story needs escalation, right? In verse 9, it says, Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? The story escalates. We were just talking, are not done. Jesus walks from the field and enters the synagogue, the local place of learning the Bible. The place which, 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 with which the Pharisees would be very familiar. They know where he's going. And in that synagogue, there is a man with a withered hand. A hand that likely meant he could not work and earn a living like others. He would be in need. And what does he need? 
He needs mercy. He needs kindness. He needs compassion. Isn't it glorious that the Lord of mercy just walked into this synagogue? That the king of kindness is there. But the Pharisees are on his tail. And these Pharisees, they had extra rules about healings. What killjoys? Rules about when to make healing exceptions during the gift of rest on the Saturday. About when merciful work is appropriate on the Sabbath. Of course, you could do it in an emergency. If it was life-threatening, of course, you could rescue. But a withered hand, surely that could wait until Sunday. Then you could be merciful on Sunday because that seems like work and the point of Saturday is to not work. No, the point of Saturday is to rest. The point of Sabbath is to rest and mercy is not in conflict with rest. And the Lord of the Sabbath is the Lord of mercy and He is standing in the synagogue. And the King of mercy says to the Pharisees, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into the pit on a Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He calls them out. He says, you love mercy for your pets. You would be merciful to your sheep. You would rescue lamb chops from the hole. You would pull her out of the pit But how often do we value our animals more than our fellow image bearers? We twist ourselves for our animals and ignore our neighbor. And the Pharisees are doing the same. They have an exception for mercy for their livestock, but delay mercy for their neighbor until a more convenient time. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? There's an exclamation point in there. Jesus has an exclamation point. That means there is way more value in man than sheep. What about a cat? Way more value in man than cat or dog. A lot more value. One is a wonderful creation of God that should be cared for as such. Animals animals are wonderful. The other is a creation of God, but one that reflects God back to himself. We are unique as image bearers of God. We are called to have dominion and rule and stewardship of animals, but we are called to love our neighbors. And it is lawful to do good. It is lawful to love your neighbor on the Sabbath. On this day of rest, you can be merciful because the giver of rest is a lover of mercy. And we have a relationship with the giver. And what does the gift giver do? Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. And the Lord of the Sabbath proves to be the Lord of mercy. And I bet that man was able to rest in God's goodness that day in a way he never had before. He experienced mercy on the Sabbath and had every reason to come and rest in Jesus. He was weary. 
He was heavy laden, but just had a merciful encounter with Jesus. That will give you rest, won't it? That will give you rest. But what is the response of the Pharisees when they see this? But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. These Pharisees are so invested in their broken practice of the gift that they will set their minds to the destruction of the giver. This is tragic. It is tragic because the future outcomes of their pursuit, the future outcome is that the gift giver is killed. The king of kindness is nailed to a tree. It is also tragic because they are so twisted, they can't rest. They can't enjoy a relationship with the giver. His majesty of mercy stands before him, and they recoil at the practice of mercy. They don't love the things God loves. Friends, God loves mercy. Jesus loves mercy. He loves mercy. He so loves mercy that he takes their desired ends of destruction and he walks himself to the cross. He walks to the cross. He walks into the cross and uses it as a means to take on death so he can be merciful to us. So he can be merciful to those who are not merciful. He did the work of mercy in dying so he could be the merciful dying king. And he finished his work on a Friday and was laid to rest in the tomb in an unfathomable parallel. Jesus, the creator, who rested after the work of creation on a Saturday, became Jesus, the redeemer, and rested after the work of salvation on a Saturday. And on a Sunday morning, The first day of the week, the beginning of a new era began. And he rose again, and in that power proclaims that he has done the work so that you can rest. He has been merciful. He has created work. Jesus gives us rest. Now when you engage in rest, you are not just keeping in step with the God of creation, as beautiful as that is. You are keeping in step with the Redeemer King. And that true feeling of rest can only occur because Jesus has done the work and you need not do it. So friends, if you are weary, sit next to Jesus and rest. His burden is light. If you relate more to the Pharisees in this story, turn around And pray to the King of mercy to change your heart. He is in the business of heart change. If you have made leisure or vacation a God, hear the order of work and rest and ask God to give you delight in His rhythm that you may glory in the God of creation, the one who worked creation and the one who worked redemption. And if this is your first time hearing the story of a merciful God, ask Him today to include you in His story. He is gentle 
and lowly in heart and desires your good and will give you mercy and rest. Let's pray. Lord, ultimately, I want you to be known. Jesus, I want my friends to be attached to you, not just as a friend or a teacher, but as their king and the giver of mercy and rest. Give them a sense that the relational work of making them pleasing in your sight has already been done. And give them a thorough sense of peace about that. The type of peace that leads to rest. And Jesus, I pray that each of my fellow Christians this very day would have a moment to sit in a chair and exhale a deep breath and sit in the truth that they are loved. And all the work to make that possible has already been accomplished. And King Jesus, if there are some here this morning that are not connected to you, be merciful and connect them to yourself. And may they walk out of this room with rest they did not have when they entered. May our songs now not be the attempt to make you pleased, but be the tune of our joy because we are connected to you. It is in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.